Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of season four of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a hilarious and poignant journey through the 1989 Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan rom-com, When Harry Met Sally, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Lisa Leahy of Rabbit Hole Podcasts. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thanks, Rob. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I'm great. I'm, I'm very glad. You, you, last time we, we had you on was, was uh, season one. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to find some time to bring you back for season four. Uh, we almost we almost recorded twice having you on for season three, just so people know. But but, you know, you, you got some sort of award or something like that. You know, some, <laughs> you know, they they decided, you know, the, the, the state of the state of Rhode know. Island decided to that. Apparently, it's more important the state of Rhode Island than than being on my my podcast. But what can you do? <laughs> I know. I, I'm right. bound by my career sometimes. Understandable. Understandable. We all are. We all are. Yes. You know, but, uh, you know, we, we do our best. We do our best. So thank you. Thank you for, for finding the time to, to, to come back this time and, and talk about Harry Met Sally. You know, it's, it's a little different than Die Hard. You know, <laughs> it is a little different. It's a different kind of movie, but still a favorite. So yes. we can run with that. Yeah. And we, we shall. We shall. So. <laughs> Minute 36 begins, opens with the, the older couple, uh, the documentary couple. This is, I believe, the fourth documentary couple that, that we've come across. Uh, they continue their story and ends with Harry continuing to flip cards. So we ended things on Friday, uh, midway. This is one of the first times that one of these documentary clips get, gets cut off at the minute. Okay, we have uh, this, this older couple that are that are talking. Uh, they, they started talking on Friday about the, you know, how they kept missing each other in so many different places. And today they continue with that. And, you know, the woman says, I worked for a very prominent neurologist. And at the same time, they're basically talking over one another, at, mm-hmm. you know, as it goes through, which, which shows that they have great chemistry, despite the fact that they are not a real couple. You know, these are two right. actors telling, right. telling a, a real story. You know, I, I love that. I love I love the idea of taking a real story, giving it to actors and say, OK, run with it and make it sound more fascinating than if you were just to have the real people talking. And mm. this movie does a great job with that. There's no question about it. So she says, I worked for a very prominent neurologist. And at the same time, he says, uh, as a nurse, where where I had a practice on the 14th floor of the very same building. And then she goes, we never met. And he goes, never met. Can you imagine that? You know where we met? In an elevator. I was visiting family. In the Ambassador Hotel in Chicago, Illinois. He was on the third floor. I was on the 12th. I wrote up nine extra floors just to keep talking to her. Nine extra floors. So, first of all, it's a great story. Okay? And and we get Mm -hmm. so much information just from the way that they're talking. I mean, the fact that he, first of all, says that she's a nurse. But, you know, we find out that he's a doctor. You know, because he says he just mentioned the fact that he had a practice on the 14th floor, you know, so so that works really, really well. The the way that that their lives were were connected, you know, and so strongly connected, like they yeah. should have intersected at some point. Yeah. And that it sort of like adds to the 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 interest of the fact that they never met. Like, yeah, you're in the same building, but if you work in two different careers, that makes sense. You'll have different hours. But the fact that they worked both in the medical field is right, fascinating. Just because they but, never but, crossed paths. But they worked in the same uh, medical field. But but let's say they're working in a hospital. You know, they don't say where 
you know, where specifically it is. If they're in a hospital, you know, why are they so surprised that they never met? <laughs> it you know, it's true. <laughs> it, unless they were the only two medical offices in that building. Okay, then I can sort of understand it. Sure. You know, again, this is this is minor information. Doesn't really matter. Um, I, I, the one thing that, it's that a bothers nice story, me, you it's know, a like they story. think it's important. They think that you know, at least walking into the building, they should have maybe met on the subway or encountered each other on the subway somehow. Like, I, for and what's interesting is for all we or, know, or in the elevator, pass each other, but they never actually spoke. Correct. So maybe maybe they had. I mean, the idea of coincidence, coincidences, the idea of you know, meeting up with each other, you figure rule of, you know, um, of, uh, oh, what is the word I want? Probability. There's good, they must have encountered each other, but maybe didn't connect or it's authentic and they never met. And that's just fascinating that like these two people who end up bound together for so long, like yeah. had that kind of connection. Yeah, no, and it's, again, the thing, one thing that bothers me about all the research I've done about this movie is that I, the I only found one of the documentary couples where we know where their story came from. You know, the very first one, the very first one is the, the parents of one of the producers of the movie. After that, Rob Reiner on, I I mean, I've listened to the, to the commentary track of just Rob Reiner and the commentary track of Rob Reiner, Nora Efron and Billy Crystal. And they don't mention it at all so far. Who knows what's going to be, so you know, over the next like, uh, hour of this movie. But up until now, nothing. You know, they, they tell us about the first one, you know, but, wow. but not, I mean, the, the I mentioned this on Friday. This this actor who plays the husband here, OK, is one of Carl Reiner's best friends. His name mm-hmm. is Bernie, Bernie Horn, Hearn. And <laughs> he was he was the best man at uh, at Carl and Estelle Reiner's wedding in 1943. That shows Aww. how far back they went. I mean, this movie came out in '89, so so we're talking 45 years after uh, Rob Reiner's parents got married. Okay, he he cast his father's best friend, you know, in this small little role, but this Amazing. small authentic role, which which works really well. I mean, it's it the 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 two of them have have just such great chemistry together. You know, the way that they look Absolutely. at each other, the way that they talk over one another, but they're they're not doing it in a condescending way. You know, they're right. they're they're trying to compliment one another with their conversation. You know, like how, how sometimes they'll say you have you have twins that will talk and uh, you know, they'll finish each other's sentences each and other's stuff sentences. like that. Here they don't specifically Ooh, just like that. <laughs> that's right. Um, but the two of them, uh, they, you know, they're, they're not really finishing each other's sen- sentences, but the conversation, it's a story that sounds like they've told this story hundreds of times to people, you know, about how amazed they were that, that after all the, the close encounters that they might've had over the, over the years, you know, that never happened, they finally met, you know, uh, in a, in a, in a hotel lobby while they were at probably a conference or no, she was, she was visiting family. She was visiting family. Yeah. You know, and we we don't know why he was there. He might have been there for a medical convention or something like that. You know, yeah, who knows? You, you never know. He might have been with another woman. Maybe. Well, if he was, he 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 spent another nine floors talking to her. <laughs> nine floors. Nine it's, 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 floors. See, so you go you go from Ferris Bueller in nine nine times to nine floors. There you go. And and, and, and both Sally. and both take place in Chicago. There you go. See, it's a Chicago both, thing. Those both. Nine- both uh, stories, because this story yes. takes place in Chicago. 
Okay. So what do you know about the Ambassador Hotel in Chicago? Do you know anything about it? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> okay. All right. That, that's fair. So it was, it was, it's now known as the Ambassador of Chicago, but it was known for many decades as the Ambassador East. Okay. What year do you think the, the hotel uh, was, was, uh, came into existence, let's say? I don't know if it was oh, built dear. in or whatever. 1842. 1926. Not even close. Not even close. That's fine. It's located. I told you, I authentically don't know anything about it. That's fine. That's fine. That's. But it's fun to hear the guesses. You know, to see how. Yes. You know. Um, it's Especially when it comes to dates, I don't have the faintest idea about anything important. <laughs> Wait a second. You're a teacher. Oh, you don't teach history, oh, I don't though. Teach do. history. Right. I teach okay. English. You teach English. You need to know what year Shakespeare wrote. Uh, um... I don't usually. <laughs> I don't because I don't. I don't think some of that minutia is important to the content. I mean, I could tell you about the time period and such, but I'm not typically asking my students, you know, what date did this get published? It's it's not it's it's not as interesting as getting them to think about you know what it is and the impact it has on them. So right. Okay. I don't know. There might be teachers out there cringing listening to this, but it is what it is. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. So the, there were many celebrities that actually lived there. Um, that's you, Darce Day lived there, Helen Hayes, um, Lana Turner, and Eunice Kennedy. Oh. Okay. Um, there's a famous movie that there is a big scene that takes place uh, in this hotel. Uh, a movie from 1959. I'll give you a hint. All right, I'll get a Hitchcock movie from 59. Oh, this is even worse that I don't know what it is then because I'm a big Hitchcock fan. I am weak on my trivia. Uh, North by Northwest. Oh, shame on me. Yes, a a shout out to the uh, Movies by Minute uh, uh, version of North by Northwest uh, that uh, Jim O'Kane did a few years ago, the group project. That was a group project, I think, number four, uh, where they did North by Northwest. So... uh, I'm sure they talked extensively there about the uh, the Ambassador Chicago, which is now known so. as the Ambassador East. Um, it, it changed its name in 1978, and uh, it, it's been bought and sold numerous times since then. But it uh, is is now known once again as the Ambassador Chicago. Uh, but then it was. Uh, um it, it was part of it's now part of the the hyatt brand ah uh, so, yeah that'll do it so yeah and then in 2002 they they actually um created a sister hotel called the ambassador west <laughs> well that makes sense yes of course why why not a <laughs> lot, lot of thought involved in naming of that particular hotel <laughs> yes um, and and back to another uh, point in history in 1959, you know, the same year that North by Northwest took took place here. So uh, Queen Elizabeth and 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 Prince Philip, uh, they came and and stayed at the hotel and 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 had an extravagant uh, meal there, I guess. Oh, very nice. Yes. Well, I guess if you're going to be the king and queen, your meals should typically be extravagant. Yes, especially you know if if Hitchcock filmed in the same place. Yeah. You know. That's it. <laughs> Yeah. Got to do it right. That's right. So yeah. So w- then the, the the scene fades. You know, we're done with with this uh, documentary couple, and we we have this this very strange. We see a desk, and we see something moving on the desk. Do, do you know what that is? One of the. 
I don't know what they're called, but I've always wanted one. One of those like dipping duck kinds of statues where it's it's the 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 water balances and the the bird kind of bobs up and down into the water. Correct. So I don't know what they're called. There, is there a name for it? Yes, there is. There are numerous names for it. So there's oh. the, the the official name are drinking birds, but they oh, well, they are they are <laughs> also known as insatiable birdies. Dunking birds, drinky birds, water birds, dipping birds, and sippy chickens. <laughs> that's funny. Sippy chick. They don't look like chickens. That's weird. I don't know. That's what they're called. And they they basically uh, uh, they're they're toys that that mimic the motions of a bird drinking from a water source. Yeah. Okay. Uh, some people. Uh, Say that these are examples of perpetual motion, but it's not. This is yeah, not perpetual. That's right. They don't move the way that would be. The perpetual motion is is the the beads, right? Yes, I think so. Because it's more it's more even, whereas this is varied, so it wouldn't fit those parameters. Yeah. Right. Is that right? Mm, I I, I think so. I'm I'm not an engineer. Apparently, I'm better in my science theory than I am in my historical facts. Apparently, apparently, but I'm 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 not good in either. You know, I just have to look it up. You know, so. <laughs> so basically the the way that it works is the the drinking bird consists of two glass bulbs that are joined by a glass tube which is basically the bird's neck and the tube extends nearly all the way from the bottom bulb and attaches to the top bulb but doesn't extend into it all right and you have fluid on the inside usually colored so that you can see what it is usually they they use some sort of dye okay um and what they they basically they remove all the air from it when it's manufactured so that you you only have the the fluid in there and then you have you have like a beak attached to the to the upper bulb and it has a a felt like material on the on the end okay you With should, the tail yeah no what do you no not the tail the, not the tail oh the I'm other end about, the top end i'm talking about the top end the beak the beak the beak oh gotcha Right, huh. and they, they usually decorate them. You have different, you have eyes and a top hat and and tail feathers and things like that. And it uh, pivots on an adjustable cross piece that's attached to the neck. And basically, this is known as a heat engine because what it what it does is it exploits a temperature difference to convert heat energy to to a pressure difference within the device, and it performs mechanical work. So, like all heat engines. It works through thermodynamic cycle, mm-hmm. okay, which basically means that that the initial state of the system is the bird with a wet head that is oriented vertically. So what what happens here? There, okay. There's a process, okay. You have the the water evaporates from the felt on the head. It evaporates lower. The, the evaporation lowers the temperature of the glass head, and then the temperature dec- decreases, causing some of the vapor in the head to condense. And then the lower temperature and condensation together cause the pressure to drop in the head. Okay, then the higher vapor pressure in the, the warmer base pushes the liquid up the neck. And then as the liquid rises, the bird becomes top heavy and tips over. Ah, okay, that's cool. and when the bird tips over, the bottom end of the neck tube rises above the surface of the liquid in the bottom bulb. Okay, so at that point, a bubble of warm vapor rises up through the tube through the gap and displaces liquid as it goes. Then the liquid flows back to the bottom bulb, 
All right, and then the pressure equalizes between the top and bottom bulbs. So the weight of the liquid in the bottom bulb restores the bird to its previous vertical position. Okay, the liquid in the bottom bulb is heated by ambient air, which is at the, a temperature slightly higher than the temperature of the bird's head. So I, I never even thought about that this is the way it all works. No. I just thought it was something that just bobs back and forth, and that's it. You know? But it's interesting because the suggestion is that, like, I always thought that you would have to start it off. And it seems that it wouldn't. Like, it sounds like, how, it like if you right. get one brand new out of the box, is this thing going to begin dipping on its own? Or do you have to dip the, the nose first in order to start this cycle? Absolutely no idea. <laughs> See, these are the things I think of, Rob. Right. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> what, when do you think this idea was, was first thought of? Oh, absolutely no idea. I wasn't even close when it came to the hotel, so don't ask okay. me. This it was in the 1760s. Get out. Okay, it was it was created in Germany, and it was known as oh, a those pul- Germans pulse and their hammer. engineering. And in 1767, Benjamin Franklin visited Germany, and he saw one. And in 1768, he figured out a way to improve it. <laughs> make it a toy that he could make money off of. <laughs> yes. So true American capitalism. <laughs> basically. So then, there, there throughout the years, there there are a whole bunch of people that have that have had different types of 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 uh patents on on how to make these and everything like that you know there, there's a chinese version that 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 came out in the 1920s and in in america a man named arthur hillary got the u.s patent in 1945 and you know he's the and then through bell labs and all these different places they finally you know were able to create this 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 toy that uh huh. yeah which which works. Yep. What can I tell you? It works well. <laughs> That's kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that I've always wanted, but I don't have the interest in spending the money on it myself. Right. So the movie Dark Man from 1990, which, which was uh, a, a strange, transition. A strange I think you, movie. You win the non-sequitur award. No, but let me explain. One, they, they actually <laughs> use, the, the bad guy uses two of these in the movie to to set off explosions. Oh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't completely it has out of been left a field. long time since I've seen that movie. All right. I have to go back um, and they, add that to the list. Pee-wee's Big Adventure also has, uh, that was the Sam Raimi movie, the, yep. the Dark Man, right? Pee-wee's Big Adventure yes. also has one that features Tim in Burton. it. Yeah. Obviously we have it in this movie. There are a whole bunch of movies that are, that other movies that, uh, that, that do mention this type of thing. You have it in uh, uh, Max Payne. Um, you have it in three different Alien movie, movies, Alien, Alien 3, and mm-hmm. Alien Covenant. Uh, Woody Allen uh, used it in Sleeper. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, we, we we have a lot of uh, places where you can find this in movies. Do you think there's some sort of symbolic significance to this drinking bird in this movie, in When Harry Met Sally, where Harry's got one on his desk? Um, no, I think it just happens to be, you know, I, I, I think. I think Rob Reiner thought it was a good idea to put it on the, the, you know, to to have, you know, Harry stare at it. And, you know, when, he, when he's somewhat depressed, you know, when he's, yeah. when he's like bored or depressed to, to do it. Well, it's interesting because you got to figure like some set designer or, you know, Rob Reiner himself came up with this idea. It's like, all right, well, what would Harry's desk look like? Yes. 
you know, what was it he would space out and look at? And somebody came up with this and they were like, yes, that's the thing, you know? So you kind of wonder, okay, well, what is it about this thing that makes it so interesting or not even interesting so much, but like a thing he would have on his desk. You know, there's certain people you can learn a lot about people based on their desks and their spaces. And I think the fact that Harry has this on his and the fact that he kind of spaces out looking at it, you know, I think there's something to that. It shows that there's this this guy who, one, likes the whimsy of it, but two, you know, probably gets caught up in, in that that perpetual motion, even though it's not perpetual motion, but this, <laughs> this idea of just back and forth and back and forth, just getting caught up in it. And I think that's part of, you know, some of what the movie gets at, too. Right. I, th- I think you're right about that. But I also find it very interesting that this is the only thing we see in his office because it's a very close yes, shot. Yes, and this is at the forefront of that shot. Yes. So it's like, here's what you're going to look at right now. Both Harry and you will be spacing out on That's this right. thing. I mean, again, it's only shown for a few seconds, but still, you know, it, uh, it's it's funny. You know, it pans, it shows it, then pans up, then pans back down. And you know, did we see anything about whether or not the uh, the profits for this particular toy went up after the release of this movie? I I, I didn't check into that. I'm I'm not a marketing person. You know, it's, it's a great great question. Anyone <laughs> out there who's interested in going to find that information out, please go and you know you can you can write let us know. you can write in your Facebook and Twitter. You know, let us know how how much you think uh, this movie helped increase the sales of of a uh, uh, what did we call it a dipping what was the one? What was the one that you, that, that sippy chicken? Sippy or chicken, stupid. yeah. Insatiable birdies. There you go. I like that one. Yeah. I mean, you got to think about like what a big deal the duck phone was when you know Jersey Shore was out. So you got to figure this showing up in such a popular movie probably would have been a lot of Valentine's gifts based on this. Could be. Could be. Even this movie came out in July. Even though the movie came out in July, but still, you know, Valentine's you know was last week. Would have been. You know, VHS, I know. I guess that's fair. Wait, 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 wait! wait. I have an idea. This is today's your birthday, so we should buy that for you and send it to you on your birthday. Yes! Oh my god, I love it. Yes, that would be a wonderful gift. Thank you. Send me all (laughs) of the sippy chickens. That's right. (laughs) Care of movie Rob. (laughs) Well, sending them to to Israel for me to send them to Rhode Island. I don't know. I don't know. The Amazon truck already knows where I am, so I'm sure he'll just send more. <laughs> FedEx and Amazon are good friends of mine. Okay, could be. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> right. So, uh, Lisa, happy birthday! You know, everyone, everyone should know today Thank is Lisa's you so birthday. Much. You know, and it and is. and it, randomly we found this. You know, this wasn't this wasn't done on purpose. You know, we it wasn't planned. no, not at all, not at all. Um, and then we, you know, we 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 hear the the phone ringing and. Basically, the rest of this minute is 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 voiceover between Harry and Sally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, first we hear Sally saying hello. You know, she's answering the phone, right? And then we hear Harry, you sleeping? Nope. I was watching Casablanca. Channel, please. 11. Thank you. Got it. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, I, I love the way that, that they do this. You know, they just, you know, it's who knows what time it is. It could be 10 o'clock, could be 11 o'clock, could be 3 o'clock in the morning. Who knows? You know, and that the two of them are, are they've already gotten close enough that they're having these late night conversations about nothing. You know, yes. and this is. Those are the best. Yeah, lines. of course. And this is this is pre-Seinfeld and, and all that stuff. So, you know, the the fact that, you know, they thought of this idea, basically 
on the commentary, Rob Brenner mentions that that's what he he and Billy Crystal were were uh, at the time were great friends. I don't know. If, I'm assuming they still are great friends also now, but at the time they they used to call each other and and have conversations like this, and that's why they decided to put it into the movie because they they thought yeah. it was you know this is something that that really uh, really happened between them. You know, so they they do it. And it's 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 an... ahead, no, I, they they do a great job of putting it together like that. I just think there's this coziness to it, you know, like when you first get to know someone and I know at this point in the film they they have more of a history, like it's certainly past when they've met each other. But when you really have somebody you're close to in your life that you can spend hours on the phone with or that you can just talk on the phone and just have nothing, you talk about absolutely nothing. And I love this concept of like watching a movie together separately. Um and just like, you know, what's on TV and you're just throwing the commentary back and forth the same way you would if you were in a movie theater. Um, you're not supposed to be talking something... during a movie <laughs> in the movie I know, theater. But see, now you can, <laughs> you know, with the advent of like home, home, you know, TVs and, and VCRs and being able to watch the movies at home. I think there's something to that. You know, I think there's definitely something comforting to even like watching old movies in bed kind of thing. Like there's just something um relaxing about it and i like that you know he, he, i just love that he doesn't even get into it like what are you doing oh i'm watching casablanca channel please you know like immediate there's no question he's gonna put the same channel on they're gonna be watching it together and i just think that's so sweet it's one of my it, it's definitely my favorite scene um among many fun scenes in this film but there's just something lovely about sharing that space with someone when you're just you know it's the last person you talk to at night. And at this point, it's not focused on a romantic connection. Right. Right. And I think there's really something great to yeah, that. For sure. I agree with you on that. Now, I mean, having, you know, I, I grew up uh, in the New Jersey area. So channel 11, I know what it is. You know, that's, that's WPIX. Mm-hmm. You know, the, yep. I, it, it probably, it, I think it's changed since then. Um I don't have cable anymore, so I can't tell you, but it was definitely PIX for yeah. me, too. And, um, I mean, basically... It became Fox after a while. It, I'm sorry? It became a Fox yes. channel yes, after yes, a yes. while. So it started off in, in 1948, and it was an independent station from 48 to 1995. Good okay, show. and then it uh, was... It, it, in 1995, it became a WB uh, affiliate. Oh, gosh. Uh, and that was between 1995 and 2006. Okay, and then the CW, and then after that, it became a CW in 2006 until now. You know, like for me, I remember as a kid, you know, whenever you know, like Sunday afternoons, they would have, you know, just all these old movies on, and it was, you know, Channel 11 and Channel 5. Those were the, the five, five. Yes. I think is the Fox affiliate now in the uh, in the New York area. Um, you know, I never had a Channel 5. For us, it was like 10, 12, 6. And for like the local stations and stuff, and then you'd get into like eleven and like twenty five, I think. I can't remember what these numbers were. They're all right, but I'm also together. I'm also talking before before cable. cable. Once it was cable, everything changed. That's you fair. know, once it you know, I, yeah. I at at that point when when cable came out, you know, I was I was already living in the Midwest in in Detroit, and then you know we would get uh, you know TBS and we get WGN, yep, TNT, TNT, exactly, all that yep. stuff. Yes, for us, I think it was 11 and 64. That was the Fox station when I was growing up. Okay, could be, could be. 
Um, no, so I just like the fact that, that the accuracy that they just say, oh, Channel 11, mm-hmm. you know, and, and as this whole conversation is going on, they, they, you know, they give us all these great shots. We see Sally at her office, okay, which, mm-hmm. you know, we know she's a journalist. Uh, Harry is, is a political consultant, which I guess he just consults on Dipping Birds or something. I don't know. <laughs> don't really know. <laughs> and, I have nothing to add to that. I am not into the political. Yeah. No, I understand. No, no well, I don't, we're not talking politics here. You know, not at all. But uh, you know, we we see Sally's desk, which is, which which has a lot of things on her desk. You know, even even in 1989, she already has a computer. In 1988, she when when I'm assuming they filmed this, or maybe they filmed it in the beginning of 89. Uh, you know, she already has a personal computer on her on her desk. She has a whole bunch of different books and and. Uh, you know, uh, notebooks, and she has a tray that that's filled with all these papers. She has some magazine that that's open next to her. You know, you see the hustle. You, they show you the difference between you know Harry's office. There's nothing going on, and and but her office, there's the hustle and bustle of what's going on. You know, someone comes and yes. brings her some sort of article to read. You know, the, to 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 take a look at. She's on the phone, and then the the shot changes, and we see her in the supermarket you know she's at like a uh getting at the salad, she's at the bar. salad bar and i love the fact that we can see behind her the whole row of uh cereal you know mm-hmm. just uh you know the the ones that you can see it's it's a little uh out of focus um, probably because you know they didn't get permission from the all these different uh you know, companies. Oh, yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. But I, I recognized, uh, you know, Captain Crunch, Life, Cheerios, Fruit Loops, Honey Smacks, uh, Honey O's, mm-hmm. Golden Grams, uh, Grape Nuts. Those are the ones that I was able to make out uh, while looking at them. Wow. There, there's more, but uh, you know, those are the ones. We're not going to go into the history of any of those. Don't worry, we're we're good. We're good. Just uh, but the thing that I found really interesting is is that, um. You know, we we watch as she's taking the 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 food from the salad bar, but all we see her take is she takes lettuce and like cherry tomatoes. They look like cherry tomatoes, actually. You yep, know. yep, tomato. But they're not even like she's very particular. In fact, it's it's interesting because you haven't quite gotten to the the dialogue yet. So I don't know if you'd prefer I wait. But the dialogue lines up very well in this moment with what she's actually right. doing. That's true. That's true. So the dialogue, they continue talking you know, about. Well, so we'll go into the dialogue. They continue talking about uh, Casablanca. You know, we. Well, they get into Casablanca, but this is the, the low maintenance thing. Right. No, but the low maintenance is tomorrow. How she likes what she the likes. low maintenance is tomorrow. Is tomorrow? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Why do I feel like this is right on the cusp then? Because I feel like when she's taking the tomatoes is when she says she likes what she likes. All right. I'll wait. I jumped. Sorry. That's okay. You, you're... It's hard with these minute by minute. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't jump at that point. Uh, if you want to know exactly what you're saying with the tomatoes, she's, she says, uh, you know, um, I never said that. That That's what it comes down to. You know, when she oh, that. that's right. Yeah, she never right. said that. So they that. have this conversation about, about Casablanca. So Harry says, now you're yeah. telling me you would be happier Victor with Laszlo, Victor, Victor yeah. Laszlo than with Humphrey Bogart and Sally. When did I say that? When we drove to New York. <laughs> I never said that. I would have never said that. All right, fine. Have it your way. And 
that's what it was. That was it. It was the have it your way line. And at that time, she's like rejecting yes. a very particular yes. tomato. Like that's what it was. It was how it connected to how picky she is. And he was just like, yep. Whatever. Yeah. No, I, I like <laughs> the fact that the, that, that they do that. You're right. That, that just showing us in the salad bar, you know, first of all, we, we see that, that, that she's, that she uses like tongs and she checks each and every one of the, 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 every the tomato. tomatoes, as they, they, you know, and she only takes three <laughs> and the fourth one she rejects because it doesn't look right. Yes. Yes. Well, there's nothing worse than biting into a foul tomato. That is true. So I can't say blame her I, because sometimes those tomatoes are a little. I better. can understand that. I can. <laughs> uh, and, and then we get a shot of Harry uh, as the dialogue once again changes to a, a new conversation where he says have you been sleeping and sally goes why mm-hmm. and he goes because i haven't been sleeping and and that's where the minute ends basically when he says that but i love that we can right. see that he's just sitting on the floor um throwing cards you know flipping cards into uh, a bowl right but what's what's in a mostly empty space, not just a mostly the empty space his apartment is empty okay this right. basically tells us that uh helen Took everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, he's left with nothing. He's got a bowl. That's what he's got in right. this team. And some right. cards. A bowl and some cards. <laughs> That's right. Yep. And he hasn't done anything to replace it. That's correct. But not yet, because he wants her, because maybe because he wants her to come back. Could be. Yeah. It's true. You know, so do, do you know what, what you would call what he's doing? The game that he's playing? I I can't remember. I do know there's a name for it, and I feel like when you tell me, I'll remember, but I, I don't know what it is okay. off the top of my head. There's, it's either called a card flip or cards in a hat. Simple names. That's the one. Cards Simple in a names, hat. Simple yeah. names. You know, not, uh, you know. Card flip I've not heard of, though. That's interesting. Right. <laughs> um, basically, the each of them, the, the way that you play the game normally, you know, when you're playing it with uh, against someone else is that uh, each of them have five cards, and they attempt to throw them one at a time into the hat. And each card that lands in the hat gains a point. Right? And sometimes people will play with full decks of cards. Um, <laughs> the rest of us aren't always playing with a full deck. That's true also. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. Um, but but it got me thinking. I, I remember that, there were, that, that they also have um, the whole idea of people throwing cards, you know, uh, throwing playing cards in like with accuracy, you know, using mm-hmm. them as, uh, you know, in magic shows or, or, uh, you know, different. Well, I think that makes sense. Like that'd probably be where it comes from. That would be the hat, you know, the magician's hat that, that, right, you it know, could be. actually prompted right. it. It could be because they, they have like, you know, contests in places of who can throw, throw it the farthest and the fastest and the highest and the, the best, most accuracy and, you know, how, who, that's because we can't ever just enjoy simple things. We have to make it a conversation, right. no matter or, what. We or do. how many can you throw within <laughs> within a uh, you know within a minute and things like that? Okay. When do you think it became popular with magicians to start doing to to start doing this on stage, throwing throwing cards accurately? This is part of a sh- like a a show like this. See, yeah. that seems it, first of all, it's it called, seems like a time it's called scaling. Me. That's the uh, the term used for it. That's not one I'm familiar with. That's okay. It, it began. It began um, in the 1800s. Okay. Okay. Oh, is that a clue? No, or? no, 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 no. That's not a clue. Okay, that's good. 
There's a lot of years in those yes, 1800s. Yes, for sure. Um, there is a magician known as, uh, or that was known, uh, named Alexander Herman, who became the the first one oh. to include card throwing in his in his act. Um, he would then actually use cards of, that he made himself. He would sign them and throw them into the audience uh, as souvenirs. Oh, cute. Right. Um, then there's another magician named Howard Thurston who would uh, also have card throwing as a major part of his act. Um, he would use heavier cards than what are usually used by, uh, you know, by what we use today. Um, mm -hmm. Ricky Jay... Uh, you know, who passed away uh, a few years ago, uh, was one of the uh, most well-known people recently to to use card throwing in their performance, and, you know, during their performances and stuff like that. You know, they even have different type of grips. You know, Herman would grip it a certain way and Thurston would grip it a different way to, you know, how you would throw the the, the cards and stuff like that. Now, oh. all right, here's here's one. How far do you think the, what is the farthest that someone has been, uh, record? Sorry, how do, how do we say this? What is the world record for the, for the farthest, farthest playing card thrown? 47 feet. 65.96 meters, which is 217, 216 feet. Was, a lot of feet. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a sloppy American. I do, I do things in not. Well, I just told you feet also. <laughs> That's fine. I know. It's amazing. It it was the the record is held by uh, Rick Smith Jr., who did this on the second of December two thousand and two. So remember, it's been over twenty years that nobody's been able to throw something further. Okay, um, that's pretty impressive. Right. He actually it also has the uh, the world record for the 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 fastest throw that it went. Uh, 148 kilometers per hour, which is nine, almost 92 miles per hour. Uh, Ricky, That's yeah, Ricky nuts. J held the record beforehand before Rick Smith uh, passed him. Uh, what about the highest throw? That I can't. Okay, so that's also. I'm gonna go with my 40. It's also again. Rick Smith. On the 14th of March 2015, he threw a card to the height of 21.41 meters, which is 70 feet. Yeah, seriously. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, what about accurate? And can you do that straight? Or is there I have some no idea. To that? No idea. <laughs> I told you, I think of the weird things. <laughs> it's just the highest throwing. So I'm assuming he tried throwing it straight up because the arc wouldn't let him go as high, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. What do you think? Okay. There's there's a, a someone named Ad, uh, Aditya Kadmer, okay, who on the 11th of December 2021, uh, uh, created the world record for the most accurate uh, playing card th throws. With how many cards did he get without missing? 172. Oh, you were so close. I, I was. I was thought you were really going to get it because it's 117. I heard the 107. I was oh, like, oh wow. Oh well, sorry, 117. Okay. That's okay. Yeah, no, that's just crazy. Now, how, what do you think the record is for the number of cards thrown in one minute? In one minute? Yes. 122. Oh, I almost thought of that. <laughs> two, the yeah. previous record was I 114. I almost thought. I thought of doubling it. Yeah, the previous record was, was 114. There, there's also an urban oh. legend that, that it can actually be used as a uh, um, as a weapon. 
that it can kill someone or seriously injure them, things like that. But uh, yikes! Mythbusters proved that that's not possible. <laughs> oh, thanks, you, Mythbusters. You, you would get you would get a uh, paper cut. That that's the that's the the amount of damage that one can do. <laughs> yeah, those are painful though. Yeah, apparently there there are numerous uh, uh, Batman cartoons where the Joker does uses them. Where he throws cards, oh, sure, slash the throats and stuff. Yeah, that's right. But uh, you know, not not real, unfortunately. Mythbusters popped that bubble. For Apparently, us. yeah. <laughs> Using a playing card. <laughs> Correct. I mean, that's pretty much all I have for 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 this minute. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we get into the script? No, I, a lot of cool trivia in that yes. one, though. Yes. Later in the week, we'll have some that have less, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll start. All right. So what I what I like here is. The, the descriptive nature of of the script. Okay, so it, it says mm-hmm. fades in. First of all, the, the the couple doesn't appear in the script at all. This was something that, that Rob Reiner apparently decided to add in afterwards because it. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. That's interesting. This is the first one that we didn't that was not in in the script. It might appear later in the script, but at this point in the script, it doesn't appear. And so the, the description in the script is a tight shot of one of those toy felt birds that somehow is able to miraculously keep dunking its beak into a glass of water. <laughs> Wider to reveal Harry is sitting in his office, staring blankly at this uh, ornithological phenomenon. As Harry stares, we hear the sound of a phone ringing. It's picked up by Sally. And then they have their conversation. And then it says, as Harry continues to stare at the bird, we hear a few lines of dialogue from Casablanca. Of all the gin joints, etc. And then it, it it cuts to to Harry in in his apartment, and it says Harry is trying to hang pictures in what is an otherwise virtually empty apartment. He checks the picture for placement against the wall. And then we we have part of the dialogue from Harry when he talks about Victor Laszlo. You know, it's all in in uh, uh, you know his voiceover. And then it says, holding his finger on the spot, he gently taps the nail into the wall. Harry gives the nail one more tap, and a big chunk of plaster comes out of the wall. Harry surveys it, then decides to leave the picture against the wall on the floor. He walks away. Yeah. Sounds pretty appropriate. <laughs> so, and, and that's uh, pretty much the, the, the only differences that they, they have here in the script uh, for today. So every Monday, we have a segment called Meg Ryan Monday. Yes. Where my guests will give their top five Meg Ryan performances. Yes. So what have you got for us today, Lisa? Oh, so it's interesting. So now that you're saying top five. Start from number five and work your way I will. So talking about top five Meg Ryan performances, I actually went Meg Ryan movies. So now I'm wondering if I would have. That's fine also. Yeah, but see, it's different. So I wonder if I would have changed my my mind um, because I I did have to kind of. You know, of course, I didn't include it in my top five, but honorable mention to Amityville 3D. Um, because what's, what's a Lisa Leahy lifts without some horror in it, especially God awful horror. (laughs) Um, so one of my favorites is Kate and Leopold, that ridiculous thing she did with Hugh Jackman, um, where he's like, sort of, I don't even remember context because it's been so long since I've seen it, but it was enough that I, that I bought a copy on DVD and own it. Um, but you know, like he sucked out of his time era and brought into the modern day and so of course it's a whole fish out of water silliness thing um but one of those you know saccharine kind of romantic comedy movies Mm -hmm. um and then i went to the doors which is just a brilliant film in and of itself 
um, you know, she's not, she's, she, obviously she's a, she's a player in the film, but she's not like, she's not Val Kilmer, you know, she's not Jim Morrison no. in this film. So it's a brilliant movie. And of course I couldn't leave it off the list. Um, Sleepless in Seattle is my number third because it's sort of like your number third, it's my number third. Yes. I, I speak English. <laughs> I speak English. Good. Um, I have two degrees in English and I actually said number third. This is what happens when I'm, when I'm, you know, off, you know, I, I'm on vacation. So my brain does not function. Um, and it's my birthday brain. So we're going to leave me alone. But anyway, sleepless in Seattle, oh. sort of like that quintessential romance movie from the nineties. Um, and then my number two is another one where Meg herself is not a major focus, but darn it, it's a brilliant movie. Go with Top Gun because you have to. <laughs> you know, she play, you know, she's playing Goose's wife and she's just that whole sequence when they're in the bar, you know, as a family playing on the piano. Yeah. It's just such a wonderful, wonderful scene. And you don't need to be in the whole movie to make that big of an impact. And she definitely does right. a great job. And number one, of course, the reason I am here when Harry met Sally, I didn't want to leave it off the list because it is my favorite of hers. So I, I could not discount it for her performances in my top five. Okay. That that is completely fair. Um, so Lisa, you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you and send you birthday presents? You can find me on the web uh, through rabbitholepodcasts.com, uh, where I am part of a network of a whole bunch of shenanigans. You can hear me on Whatever with Jason Soto, in which uh, Jason and Rob Branch and I talk about whatever Jason wants. Uh, you can hear me also with Jason on a podcast called Between the Scares, through which we discuss every film that Jason Blum and Blumhouse Productions have put out, which is music to my horror-loving heart. And you can also catch me on my brother in the – it's in some sort of vortex of God knows what's going on, but we have a podcast called The Siblist, S-I-B-L-I-S-T, and we have four different lists that we choose from to watch our movies. Unfortunately, our last episode was released in July of last year, um, and hopefully we'll get our act together. Well, it's only middle of February, I, towards the end of February. No uh, it just, you know, we've got to get our act together. It's it's a problem because my brother's schedule changed, and it was just sort of a lot of, lot of bad scheduling. So we'll get our act together eventually, I hope. But we do have some fun episodes in the backlog. So, and SpongeBob was one of our, one of our best. So go check out the SpongeBob episode, if not some of the others. Uh, and you can also catch me on the lamb cast quite a bit because Richard Kirkham hasn't found a way to get rid of me yet. So <laughs> I show up on there quite a bit, even <laughs> though it's not officially my podcast. So. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Or you can go directly to my website, movearoundminute.com. So, uh, once again, happy birthday to Lisa. And uh, hopefully, you'll, you'll, hopefully you won't party too hardy, too hardy tonight. And therefore, you'll be able to come back again tomorrow. I hope so. I mean, I'm, a li I'm getting to the point where, you know, partying too much makes it uh, hurt in the morning. So, can't do that. <laughs> All right. Understandable, understandable. Especially when you have to get up for, for work. True, you know, true. Well, not this week. I'm on vacation little... this week. Right. Okay. Now, for, for your birthday, that's a great reason to take off. This is why. Yeah, why up here in the Northeast, we have February vacation, and it. I like to tell my students, you're welcome. It's because of me. You get a full <laughs> week off from school. There you go. Great. All right. So until tomorrow, I'll have what she's having. I'll have what she's having. Gave me a thrill. With all your faults, I love you still. 
It had to be you, wonderful you, had to be you.